This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I mean, so when you're skating out there, you're like, okay, I can either have this great career after this, or if I blow it, I'm not going to have a career. So it's not only pressure from your country and from yourself, it's also this thing of like, well, you know, this carrot dangling a, a above your head. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is the greatest American figure skater of all time, Olympic gold medalist and South Park legend, Brian Boitano. Presented by Geico. All right, today's guest built the pyramids, fought the evil robot king, saved the human race, and skated for Olympic gold while wearing a blindfold. Well, that's the way South Park creators described it in their zany song, What Would Brian Boitano Do? Amazingly, his real-life achievements don't really pale in comparison. He captured the 1988 Olympic figure skating gold medal, and after 50 other amateur and professional titles on top of all of that, it is my pleasure to welcome perhaps the most impactful male ice skater ever. That would be the great Brian Boitano. Brian, hey, welcome to Game so Time. thank you so much for having me. I it's, didn't really wear a blindfold, by the way. Oh, you didn't? Well, was, well South Park said that you didn't. I bet I you. You probably could have done it because you were a daredevil when you were a kid, I found out. Totally. And it was like your your love of roller skating mm -hmm. and taking chances and doing jumps and tricks and all that other stuff that led you into skating. Yeah. I was uh, on the streets in, in uh, Sunnyvale, California. I was just like roller skating all the time. And my mom had to call me in for dinner. And it's like dark. And I would just be roller skating, roller skating. I was doing jumps and spins on roller skates before I even knew about ice so skating. So these weren't roller blades. No, these were, these the, were, old, they were the, the old clay yes. for quad wheels um, and my mom saw this and she took me to the old ice folly show in San Francisco and I knew when I was sitting in the audience I knew where I was sitting I remember what I was seeing and I'm like this is what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life so then I went home and I roller skated on the driveway and I drew chalk marks to pretend like they were ice carvings you know on the on and you the, had never worn ice skates up to that point never you were five years old when did you first put the ice skates on well it's, it's when I came back from that ice show my dad who was a semi-pro ball player and he was coaching my the baseball San Jose team. Bees. yes exactly that's right so you were a baseball player on top <laughs> yes. of all of this I was not as good as uh, the skater that I would turn out to be like so I begged my dad to take me skating all the time so uh, finally he relented and he took me to the local ice rink and my dad who was very athletic I mean he was a semi-pro ball player so he was literally on his ankles on the wall like creeping <laughs> like one inch at a time and I would lap him all the time like dad I'm having a great time how it's long did it take you to get it I got it right away. You did? I did. I like went from all the group lessons, like all in a row, and then at the fifth group lesson, I met the coach that would take me all the way through the Olympics, and she asked my parents. And to, that was Linda Lever, yeah, right? Yeah, Linda Lever. So tell me about Linda and mm. what she brought to you as a young man and, and how she brought you as along as your coach. We had different stages of relationship. Like she was a mother figure to me. Um, she was a mentor. Then we were partners, you know, uh, when I was at the Olympics. You know, she listened to my ideas. I listened to hers. 
Um, and then, then we went into business together, you know? So it's been a lifelong thing. It's a lifelong thing. thing. But when it starts, yeah. and she says, I see that you have what it takes, what does she see in you that she believes that you could become a great skater? You know, I think that it was work ethic. I was the first one on the ice, I was the last one off, and I was so passionate, I wanted to get everything right. She had to actually put the reins on me and say, like, that's enough skating for today, you have to get off the ice. And I would not want to do it, and i just wait all night long to get back on the ice in the morning so that I could go prove it to myself again. Yeah, I don't think people realize the risks that you take as mm -hmm. an ice skater. Where did the ideas for the jumps, the axles, the the lutzes? Where does all this stuff come from? I, th you know, for for me, like I wanted to keep up with the people ahead of me. I wanted to be better than the older guys ahead of me. Um, and I had all these mentors that I looked up to, and I'm like, I want to do more than them. I want to do more than anybody did. So I was always aspiring to do better and better and better. You were fearless. I was a big guy for a skater. Yeah. I mean, I probably would have been better suited for football. You know, um, I'm 5'11", and um, guys weren't that big. They're very small, so it's like harder to fly through the air when you're a size 5'11". 5'11", uh, you're yeah. taller than Doug Flutie, I can yeah. tell you that. <laughs> All right, I'm here with Brian Boitano, who became the first U.S. skater to land a triple axle at the U.S. Championships, the first skater to land six different triple jumps at the World Championships, the first skater to attempt a quadruple jump in competition, and the first male skater to be featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and the first male athlete to host a primetime network special. I detect a pattern here. That's cool. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> so your inspiration growing up skating was Terry Kubica, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why? Well, he was national champion. Uh, he had come to our local club show as a junior national champion and skated when I was eight years old. Um, so I automatically looked up to him. But he also was technically by far and superior ahead of everyone else. He was doing all the triple jumps when guys were doing one or two triple jumps. And in fact, he was the one in the 1976 Olympics that he did the backflip, and that's what made them choose the rule to not allow backflips in competition Too dangerous. Anymore. Too dangerous, and they just didn't think it was, they thought it was too acrobatic. So you combine him with your daredevil nature, and I'm seeing a pioneer, an innovator. Do you well, look at yourself I feel, that way? I definitely think I would take a different direction than most people. So a pioneer, I could see that. Um, I, if people are going this way, I go the other way and try to cut them off at the pass. Okay. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, sure, yeah. I try to get ahead of them by going a different way, and I always do that. I never, I'm not a follower. All right, so you have to tell me about the, the Tano Triple Lux. Okay, yeah. And that happened in 1986. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why is it different, and what made it so difficult? Well, it's it's a, basically a, a version of a Triple Lutz. Which with, is a... Three times around. Three times uh, taking off backwards, and it was with my arm over my head. And my thought was, I was tr I tried to make every single element of my skating more difficult than my competitors. So all my competitors were rotating in the air like this. I thought if I put my arm over my head, they would give me more credit for a more difficult triple lutz jump. So do you ask a judge prior to even practicing <laughs> that? I guess I should have. Is this going to impact them, or you just no, did this I on just, your own? You know, I felt like I could publicize the fact that it was more difficult, and they would understand that. I don't know if I ever really got credit for it, but it, it definitely was some, something that I'm known for It now. separated you. It definitely so separated initially, me. initially, you were robotic. Mm -hmm. You were a yeah. very technical skater. Always. You were, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the, like, a... Uh, uh, somebody that would play a sport where they're so technical, they just yeah. won't give in to the flamboyance of yeah. the sport, yeah. right? Yeah, but so or the artistic, or the artistic side, of the, side yeah. of the sport. So you became more enamored with that yeah. once you realized that you were somewhat robotic. Is that true? Well, yeah. I mean, when I was robotic, I always looked at figure skating as sport, not art. 
Um, I was always an athlete first. It was about how many jumps I could land, who, how I could skate clean the, the most. The power part of the athlete. Yeah, the, how the speed, the height of my jumps. Like I, it was just always about that, the, the, the conditioning. Um, and then when I realized that I needed this other aspect to win the gold medal, it's like not all about the jumping, but I had to become an artist, I did. I mean, I hired the right people in my camp right. that would turn me into a combination of both. So that was Sandra Bezik. Yes. So Sandra yeah. Bezik is a Canadian. Yes. And this is really where it gets interesting in your life. Yeah. Because you have a rival, if you will, in yeah. Brian Orser. And yeah. Brian Orser is Canadian. Yep. And you've hired a Canadian now to come and help you with yeah. the artistic side of your skin. Yeah. What was that relationship like? It was amazing. She was, uh, she didn't really want the job because she knew that she would be considered a traitor by her own country for working with an American. I hope and you paid her a lot of money. It was, it was like, <laughs> she did, she did very well because she, she stayed with me to do all my tours and all my, the TV shows and stuff. So, but she was, uh, she was, they were angry at her for sort of working with the American. And so, cause the rivalry was, we knew it would come down to one or uh, one or the other Brian at the yeah. Olympics. Do you believe that Sandra actually hmm. was the difference for the the Olympics when it finally came down to it? Yes, I do. I mean, the final I think piece. That, well, I think that there were a lot of things that came into. I wouldn't have been considered for the Olympic gold if I didn't have Sandra. But my performance at night and the mental um, education that I had taken for those years for that pressure of that moment was really what what it came down to. The great Brian Boitano landed his first triple jump at the age of 11, and before he turned 12, he had won 17 regional medals. Amazing. He recalls that as a kid, I spent hours at the rink learning to jump and spin and dreaming about winning an Olympic gold medal. And at age 24, he got his chance in what the media called the Battle of the Bryans. This is the Calgary Olympics, the 1988 Winter Olympics. I'm playing football for the Bengals. I remember this like it was yesterday because you took the world by storm. And it was you and Brian Orser, mm -hmm. and this was the battle. He had won the world championships mm -hmm. the year before, in yep. 1987, yep. which I knew also fueled you. And I'm wondering, as an American, going to Calgary, Canada mm -hmm. to take on a Canadian, a world champion, in your mind, mm -hmm. what did you think it was gonna take in order for you to come away with that gold medal? I think you know the answer to this. It's, I knew, I knew that I had to be perfect. And I knew that I couldn't make a mistake, not just in the performance, but as soon as I left for the practices for the whole week, I knew I had to be perfect all week long because the judges watched the practices, um, there's talk that starts. And so my goal wasn't just to be perfect in the performances, oh, which is hard. The judges enough. watch the oh, practices? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you have this new style. Yeah, right? I have this new style. I needed to create this chatter of, oh, my God, he's on fire. Oh, my God, he's going to win. He's on fire. If he skates like that, he's going to win. Because I needed that, because the favorite was the Canadian guy who was carrying the flag into the opening ceremonies. What kind of a relationship did you have with Brian Orser, you know, going into that? Olympics? I was. We were friendly competitors, but you know, like two guys who want the same thing, you want to beat them. Now, did you watch when he was skating? No. You didn't watch him? No, 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 no. Hmm, you no. don't ever do no, that. You no, just no, worry no, about no. yourself. I went back into the dressing room and I put my like headphones in and I was like, whatever happens, Whatever happens, happens. I timed it on my clock. I'm like, okay, in four and a half minutes for program, then he's going to get a standing ovation. He's going to skate great. And uh, like after six minutes, um, I'll take my headphones off. It should be clear. I mean, I, I won't hear anything. I took my headphones off and I heard his last mark and it was a perfect 6.0. So I thought, 
I lost. And then my teammate comes into the dressing room. He's like, you won. I'm like, no, he got 6.0s. He got, he got one. From the Canadian judge, yeah. of course, right? <laughs> I mean, well, so that obviously now you, you realize that you're going to win the gold medal. What, what is that moment like? It's got to be the crowning achievement of everything that you dreamed. It really is. And back in those days, you know, figure skating was such a great sport in that if you won a gold medal or got an Olympic medal, it opened the door to your whole entertainment side of your life. I mean, we would, we're the only Olympic sport that goes on to uh, an entertainment side, you know. And so at that time, there were there was professional figure skating, so it was yeah. big for you. Yeah, it was big. So I knew that that, I mean, so when you're skating out there, you're like, okay, I can either have this great career after this, <laughs> or if I blow it, I'm not going to have a career. So it's not only pressure from your country and from yourself, it's also this thing of like, well, you know, this carrot dangling a, a above your head. After the 1988 Olympics, Brian Boitano had a fabulous professional career. He toured for 15 years with champions on ice and he headlined television ice skating specials, but he put that all aside for the 1994 Olympics in Lillehammer, Norway. Now, what, why did you do that? Why did you want to go back to that? Well, I felt like that the um, the Olympics should allow whoever was best in in figure skating to go back in, and I felt like I was competitive with the people in 1994, so I felt like I should have be allowed back in. And that was the, the Boitano rule, yes, if I know. Boy, yeah. You actually changed the rule, so you could go back and play. I lobbied the, the International Olympic Committee to say, like, you guys need to let professionals back in. If, they want, if they're willing to compete at a national level and earn a place on the team, you need to allow them to do that. And they did. Well, it was nice that they did that because I have to believe that you always have to wonder about the judges. Tell me about the 1988 Olympics, the gold medal judges, and did you worry about, because you were in a foreign mm -hmm. land and you were going against the Canadian, yeah. uh, that you were going to run into problems there? So when the panels are, are uh, told to the skaters, you know who are you judges, who vote, who vote for you on a regular basis and who like you the most, and then who vote for your competitors. It's like selecting a jury. It is. So <laughs> I knew that you know five judges were more Brian Orser's judges, and I knew four were mine. So I knew I had to win one judge over. Can you take him out to dinner or anything? Yeah, or like, I, wish, I wish it was that easy. Okay. But yeah, and I actually, the one person that I changed his mind was the Russian judge who lost his job because he voted for me that night. He lost his job for yeah. that? They said that they, they, they he was told before the event that night that you're going to vote for Brian Orser. No now, matter who told what happens, him that? The Russian Association. So the Russians judging, didn't want the American said, to like, win. If you want, yeah, if you, yeah, because there was other deal back you know, backyard deals like happening for the ice dancers and the pair skaters. This is how bad like it gets. Yeah, it is. But he um, he lost his job because he voted for me that night. And he told me years later that he was like, that was one of the mo most proud moments of his life that because he said, you deserved it. And I was willing to lose my job because wow, of it. Wow, that is amazing. So talk to me about Norway, 1994. Yeah. Um, what happened there? It was really a weird Olympics because the whole Tanya-Nancy Tanya thing was there. It felt like, it didn't feel like... Um, an athletic event. It felt like a um, reality like, show. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I mean, I knew. I remember seeing Connie Chung come in for like with her fur coat and like try to get Tawny's attention during a practice session. I'm like, what? Wh what's happening here? I don't understand this. This is so weird. It's like the Esquire. Typical on ice. American drama. Yeah, is exactly. what it was. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. It carried a dark cloud over those Olympics, and I think it was uh, very unusual. The athletes were in the village going like, I don't understand this whole drama about that. She's uh, Nancy's fine now. She Did you feels ever talk good. To Nancy? about oh, it, God, about this? Yeah. I mean, I was on the team with her, right. so it was like I was on the team with both she and Tanya. So it's like I was, as an American teammate who was on that team, uh, negotiating that whole thing was like a minefield, you know? So when you saw the movie, did you did you <laughs> agree with the movie or was it a little um, bit It was a little not 
exactly accurate. Right. Okay. Yeah, it was a little not exactly accurate. Did they ask you your input for the movie? No, thank God. Or actually, I think people did, but we were all like, we were like, you know. It is an individual sport. You're out there. You're putting everything you have into it. Was it ever a lonely journey for you? I don't, it wasn't lonely for me. It was peaceful. It was peaceful, and I still love those days when I can go in and just put my favorite music on and just, like, skate and be in my head and be in control of my body and be in the moment. I mean, being I, you know as an athlete, to, just to be in the moment doing what you do best is, is the greatest feeling. And you're still on the ice these days. I do, yeah, I still skate. You're a maniac. Brian Boitano, Olympic champion and cookbook author, recently said, we all live during our Olympic careers and after our competitive careers with an interesting relationship to food. Uh, you know, all of us athletes yeah. have an interesting relationship to food. I eat a lot of it. You don't. No, I do. So what is this all about? I save about? it all for the, like, night for dinner. <laughs> it's like I fast during the whole day. But no, I mean, I think as athletes, I know you've had to lose weight. Like, you know, when you were are you, at your... Are you shaming prime, me right No, no, no. no. Oh, okay. You look perfect. Okay, you look perfect. You. All right. <laughs> um, no, but, you know, I mean, especially when you're in a sport that you fly through the air. Um, so it's like you're, you know, it's you try to be as light as you can. But the judges would also say... Things like you know you need to lose weight. You look too heavy. The I mean, judges would say oh that. yeah, like well, I was. Judges need a little bit of slapping around. I was five eleven yes. and one hundred and fifty four pounds at the Olympics, and some judges would still say I needed to lose weight. So you you told me a story off air that you yeah. were celebrating a victory by eating a cheeseburger or a yeah. hamburger, yeah. right? Yeah. And the judge came over to you. Yeah, at the national championships, right after I won the title, and my sister was at the table, and she said, "You know, you need to put that hamburger down because you need to lose five more pounds before Worlds." And my sister could not believe it. She's like, "What?" <laughs> so this book does what? It, it basically tells you how to enjoy food properly. And this is a whole different thing. I had a show on a food show on TV for a while, and it was all about how my relationship to food changed because I had my friends would come over to my house and we'd cook together, and I heard I, I learned this healthy relationship to food and how it's a connector, and it's an important part of our life. Does it include chicken wings and beer? No, it doesn't include <laughs> chicken wings and beer. It it's doesn't. A, it's a little step up from that, okay? All right, okay. So you're going to... So I'm not coming over then. <laughs> all right, so tell me about the, the Youth Skate Foundation that you started and, and what that's all about. So I started it with the uh, San Francisco Unified School District, and it was just a way to uh, introduce inner-city youth to figure skating. So we invite a different school in during the school year um, every month um, to uh, give them skating lessons lessons uh, to uh, we give them skating passes to come back and lunches but um, it's really great because uh, you probably work with youth too so seeing their um, their sense of accomplishment from an athletic side mm -hmm. not you know just you know a, a working test and also being exposed to being something being different, exposed yeah. to something different and they can't skate with a cell phone in their hand and it's fantastic I mean they just have this sense of accomplishment South Park comes out with this song yeah what would Brian Boydano yeah. do when, when you heard about this and saw this, scared what, what did you think? I was scared to death. I was, I just like, I'm like, why are they picking on me? Because they had, they were notorious for picking on yes. people. And I didn't, uh, did you, uh, there was a little five minute thing called the Spirit of Christmas where I broke up a fight between Jesus and Santa Claus. Okay, yeah. So, and it was, that was the, the, the first thing. And I sort of ignored that. And then my friends told me, they're like, there's a whole song about you in the movie. And I'm like, oh God. So I remember going to the movie theater and sitting in the back with a hat on and everything. And I'm like <laughs> watching this whole thing. And I'm like, hey, that wasn't yeah. bad. That was kind of nice. I mean, they were nice to me. So. I was relieved, but I thought it would go away eventually, but it just escalated and escalated and it became part of my makeup, you know? Well, if it made this show, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> I could tell you that, but you are a pop culture icon. That's the way you got to look at it, right? It's nice. I mean, it's nice. And I'm glad that they were nice to me. If I, I wouldn't want to talk about it if they weren't. All right, let's just hope they never do one on me. I Brian, know, it was oh great God. to meet you. Good to meet you. Thanks so much for...
coming in. I love your story. Our thanks to Brian Boitano for joining us today. And to all of you for watching, I'm Boomer Esiason, and I'll see you again soon right here on Game Time with the great John Smoltz. Got through it. That was great. That was good. Yes. I would go to the roller rink all oh the time gosh. on the old roller skates, but I never thought about becoming an Olympic gold medalist doing all kinds of crazy jumps and flips and all that other stuff. You would, would have you been a big person. You would have been a big, I can't, I, I, I'm just trying to imagine you like jumping you in the air. Yeah, I can't, I can't <laughs> imagine that either. That's why I did, that's why I did what I did. I wanted to go yeah. play quarterback.